This is episode 22 of Untangled Faith. On this episode, Nathan and I talk about what happened after he resigned from Ramsey Solutions, the resources that helped clarify what he had experienced, and how complicated it was to tell his friends why he had resigned. And there was so long there where we're like, they just don't know. And then I remember there was that moment where, oh my goodness, they do know. Yeah, and they're lying to us. Oh yeah, this is as bad or worse than we thought it was. And I think it was that realization that they were willing to do that. Then really we had no idea what else they were willing to do. It seemed like all bets were off. There's a surprising number of people who have left with concerns. But at the same time, when you're still on the inside, you're like, oh, those are all the bitter people. They just left and they're just bitter about not being here anymore. And so I really didn't want to lose my friends because they thought that I was just one of those antagonistic, bitter people. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Today, Nathan and I dive into part six of our Ramsey story. If you're just joining us, part one starts on episode 17. In the last two episodes, Melissa Hogan and I shared the Got Your Six team meeting that Dave Ramsey led after my husband resigned. In this episode, I start out by asking Nathan if he wanted to talk about that meeting. So when we last left our audience, you had just resigned from your job. And then the last episodes after that, we talked about the meeting that happened after you left. Yes. All right. So my first question for you, I guess, and we can talk about the meeting if you want. Do you want to talk about the meeting that you didn't know about? I I heard about it. Yeah. We know that some things had been said. We just had no idea what exactly had been said. So as a reminder, just a couple weeks after Nathan resigned from his job, I noticed an article on the DaveRamsey.com site called I've Got Your Six. And there was some really specific language in there talking about loyalty and really negative words towards people that weren't loyal to a company. And I suspected that this was pointed at Nathan. Trying to figure out if that actually meant us. Like you said, this is about you. And I'm like, I mean. Yeah, because we had seen the article in on DaveRamsey.com that got your six article. And it was like right after you left. And I'm like, man, this sounds like he's talking about people that left. Yeah, you. but at the same time, I'm like, I don't feel like. I'm that big of a deal that this would be about me. This must be something that was already in the works. They were already planning on talking about. It felt presumptuous to think that it was about me. Yeah. It really seems like it's about me. At this point, Uh, it does. At this point, like looking back and how. Now that we've heard the audio of the meeting that happened right after you left, that seems like Mm -hmm. that's where that article came from because it's got like quotes right from that meeting. Right. And, And the fact that it then went on to talk about like the actual meeting. Yeah. Talking about the whole Chris situation and stuff, it became very obvious that actually was a meeting that was about me and my leader leaving. But well, at the time when we saw the article, you're like, you're looking at and, and seeing the thing about rats leaving the ship being in that quote. Yeah. They're calling you a rat fleeing a ship. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, is that a stretch to think that's about us? Yeah, in you context, were questioning it's like, oh, yeah, it. I was yeah. like, I am pretty sure he's talking about you. As much as it was really horrifying to hear the things that he actually said about people that had left for disagreeing with how they handled the situation without saying your name, that he said some very pointed things about you. It also felt, yeah, I wasn't crazy to think that Mm -hmm. that was pointed your direction. 
So what were you thinking and feeling in those early days after you quit? I was in shock. Yeah. It happened so quickly and I was still feeling guilty about leaving my team with a half finished, not done. I didn't get that, that sense of closure because it wasn't a departure that I was planning for. I wasn't fired, but at the same time, I didn't get to pick when I was leaving. It's a weird, weird situation to have that sort of, okay, you're going to go now and to not be able to to finish things and then not really be able to say goodbye going home and not really getting a chance to, to say why I was gone or explain because still didn't feel like my story to tell. Like I was yeah. leaving because of all the reasons we talked about, but it didn't feel appropriate for me to say the whole thing because so much of it was around what was still private at that point. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question. When you left, did you reach out to your friends there and tell them what happened, why you left? No, no, I didn't. I did end up talking to one of my good friends. It was weeks later though. Like we were riding together to a developer meetup. I think I somehow worked the conversation around to that just because I wanted to be able to explain that I, it wasn't that I had just found another job or that I wanted to leave, that, that, that this wasn't really by my choice. But even then, I didn't want to put him in an awkward, putting him in that position of having to make a decision, which I feel was what was going on with Melissa to a certain point too, where she wasn't wanting to put us in that position of having to choose between our livelihood or her. At that point, she hadn't told us anything. And she knew if she had either, we'd have to decide if we believed her or not. And if we did, we would have to make some really serious decisions. It's a no-win situation because if the person leaves because of what you have shared, you feel some responsibility for them putting themselves in that position that taking that risk because you're in the middle of it yourself. This is scary because we didn't have something lined up. We're still trying to figure out what we're going to do next. And I need to work to make money so that we can afford our house. And you don't want to feel responsibility for someone else leaving and going through that same pain. At the same time, you also really don't want to say this is what happened and then have them choose their livelihood and just cut you out of their life. There's that, that feeling that's a risk as well. It's a vulnerable thing to say, hey, this is what's this is what happened. It's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah, it's very vulnerable. By then there is this things had changed a little bit because when we had left, we were doing so with this feeling that it was what God wanted us to do and that we just had this feeling that things weren't right, but we hadn't had things confirmed. And by the time I was speaking to my friend, we had a chance to talk to some people that weren't talking to us for those same reasons. Like they weren't sharing things, the the details with us mm-hmm. while we were still there. And we had the opportunity to have more open, candid conversations with people who knew more of the facts and knew yeah. what was going on. And it was very affirming. Affirming to again have that feeling like I'm not crazy. Like this wasn't just something that we imagined. This sense that something was wrong was borne out by the facts that we were able to get from people who knew things because they yeah. were more deeply involved in the conversation and situation. Yeah. You left the end of April. So let's say like during that summer, was there anything that helped you in particular, like work through what had happened? Because there's something you listened to, things that you read, conversations that you had. So I remember looking at articles while sitting at the desk for the job that I had after I left RS. I remember some articles that you had sent my way or that I had found. And I remember reading them at that desk. So there was yeah. there was that article that we had found that was about narcissistic organizations. Yeah. Yeah. It was a journal article talking yeah. about narcissism and how it can impact whole organizations. 
and I'm reading that and saying, okay, yeah, this is, this fits my experience. Like this is what in retrospect, I feel like I was seeing at the organization. I think there were other things that you were reading and sending me links to the articles and then I'd go and read them or you'd just tell me about them or I'd hear you listening to a podcast and more just picking up those things just by proximity to you because uh, you were, you're still very passionate about uh, this whole topic of church hurt and that spiritual abuse. And so it was definitely still something that you were very actively listening to and processing by listening to those things. And so by my yeah. being able to hear that as a, the background I, yeah, I remember so just living like it wasn't forced to go and process it all at once. And I could tackle those things a bit at a time. There are a few things that stand out for me. One of them was when Julie Royce did her podcast came out, like when it first launched in the first interviews she really did were with people that had been connected with Harvest Bible Chapel. Over the course of listening to Julie Roy's podcast several times, I took notes because I'm the type of person who takes notes while listening to certain podcasts. And I think I listened to that interview. Oh, yeah. I don't know how many times I took notes on it. The things that they were saying, what they had seen, it just seemed so familiar. But I think the most powerful thing was the very end of that conversation where it was the two guys that were writing on this blog, The Elephant's Debt, and Mm -hmm. Jessica Hockett was also on there. And one of them had said that it was the people that walked away and never said anything that really hurt, like that just left and didn't say why and what happened. And I remember just like lying there on the floor thinking, I'm not going to be that person. I don't want to be the person that just walks away and doesn't say anything. I remember listening to that and just thinking about how these people were able to be open about this and were able to go and actually talk about this experience. And they weren't, they weren't doing it without recognizing that there was a risk to do so. But at the same time, they weren't letting them keep them from speaking up about their experiences. If you followed the story of Harvest Bible, James McDonald, and the people who were speaking out about the abuse there, you probably already know what happened. James McDonald sued the bloggers and their spouses, and journalist Julie Royce. I believe James McDonald ended up dropping that lawsuit at some point, and I think it came after several subpoenas and discovering that a lot of the documentation was there to support the things that these bloggers had said and that Julie Royce had reported in her article with World Magazine. Well, for a couple of them, they had quite a bit of years of distance. They'd been speaking for a long time. The men that were on the podcast, nothing was happening for a long time. I didn't process that part so much as that. I wish somebody had said something and thinking somebody needs to say something. And then do you remember I sent you that Michael Hyatt podcast episode? Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller had a conversation about a situation that Michael had been in where he had to make this decision on firing a a moneymaker, a big rainmaker for their organization. It was cool to hear someone who had a similar, not, not similar, but just that same idea of having to wrestle with something like that in their work life. And it had to make a tough decision. Yeah. And it was affirming to hear that and say, okay, there are other people who are out there, Yeah. yeah. but it's felt good to hear other people doing that. And to, to think I'm not alone in that. We both felt really emotional listening to that. 
And I had quoted from that when, when I first shared on our blog, our story of leaving Ramsey and like one of the co-hosts, and I don't remember if it was Megan or if it was the person that was like hosting the show said that core values look good when they're hanging on the wall. They are very difficult to enact in a real life business situation. And then later on said, err on the side of integrity, even if it costs you in the short term. I remember Hyatt had said this was a bet the farm moment where he was willing to say, if we have integrity, we need to tell this, we need to cut this person loose, even though we have invested a lot of money in this person. I couldn't even imagine that people would do that after the experience that you had just had. For me, I felt like that was the company that I did work at until I realized that it wasn't. I had so long where I believed that I was working at a company that had integrity and then just realizing that wasn't true over Mm -hmm. that year where I started to see things that were making me concerned and then culminating with... Yeah, because we were hoping it wasn't a big systemic issue. We were hoping that maybe there were a couple people here there that were making maybe had their eyes off the real prize of really helping people and not just about money. I think that's why we were able to hang on as long as we were. We thought, well, maybe there are a few people that have got Dave off track. And if someone were just to remind him (laughs) of what they were all about. And there was so long there where we're like, they just don't know. And then I remember there was that moment where, oh my goodness, they do know. Yeah. And they're lying to us. That was something that we felt. And then pretty quickly after we left and we're able to talk to my leader. And I don't know, did we talk to Melissa really at that point? Or was that further on? That that was very briefly before she was under a gag order, but she still didn't say a whole lot to us. It was enough to say, oh, yeah, this is as bad or worse than we thought it was. Yeah. And I think it was that realization that they were willing to do that. Then really, we had no idea what else they were willing to do or what they had already compromised on that we would have no idea about. It seemed like all bets were off. We definitely lost trust. They lost our trust. I'd shared a little bit on my blog about narcissism in 2020. And I did mention the article that you had found, Organizational Narcissism and Virtuous Behavior. This is paper. And they talk about Arthur Anderson. They're the accounting firm that was caught shredding evidence for Enron. And that Arthur Anderson had been known for its ethical culture. The founder was known for being an honorable man, even had a consulting group that taught other companies. Yeah, that was the thing that kind of hit home. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, Ah. they taught people how to be ethical. And as a result, in that article, they're talking about how that blinded them to the fact that because they taught other people to be ethical and they were so proud of that fact that when they were acting unethically, it just didn't click. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. We teach ethics, so we must be ethical by definition is sort of the idea that, that they were calling out in that article. One of the quotes from that article said, to an outsider, these practices are obviously wrong, but insiders who have internalized the culture's logic can't see anything wrong. Insiders see themselves and the behavior of the organizations they work for as good and right. And to question or deny these propositions is to threaten their collective identity, which they can't tolerate. That was powerful to read that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes because I think there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this that have gone through a situation where their organization 
prides themselves on being a model of something where they teach things to people. So how could they at the same time acknowledge they have something wrong with their culture? Ramsey has this whole entree leadership division where they or and they have events and training and, and they sell tickets to events where people come to learn how to do business from Ramsey, where they can hear Ramsey leaders tell them how to run a business with excellence. And so if they are teaching people how to do business, how are they going to be able to acknowledge that they have some serious issues that they need to address and how they run their business? When you're telling the world we are full of integrity and we're teaching other people how to have integrity, if there are integrity issues, that's a really hard thing to acknowledge. We spent a lot of time thinking through that sort of stuff. We read articles by Wade Mullen, lots and lots of stuff by Wade Mullen. I remember sending you articles. I remember a lot more conversations about them. I remember walks where you would tell me what you're learning, what you're reading. And that meant that I didn't have to read it myself. Great conversations though. You know, we just spent a lot of time praying about how and when or if to share the story publicly. And I, you know, by publicly, I mean like writing up something on my website about what happened. Or even talking to friends. It was during that period there that I talked to my one friend and even then didn't share all that much. I I had decided that I would answer questions, but I wouldn't really bring it up with anyone. So if anyone asked me a question, I would talk about it, but I didn't want to bring this to them. But I also wasn't going to say, yeah, everything's fine. I left. But of course, at that point, they'd already said some things about me that if people knew that it was about me, like they knew that it didn't leave on like happy terms at that point. Do you wish you had brought it up or said, hey, can we talk about this? Or I, I'm just curious. I don't think there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious of what your thoughts are. I don't are know. I still have some friends where we really haven't talked about it. And it's just weird. But at the same time, it means that I still have these friends. And still have a relationship with with some of these people that the friendship is based on shared interests and activities and stuff like that. And it's not necessarily like fundamental to that relationship that this be known. But at the same time, it's just weird that this big thing happened and we never really talked about it. Yeah. And I don't know. But at the same time, it's that whole question of do I really want to bring this up and then find out for sure whether or not that is uncomfortable enough that it's easier just to not invite me to things anymore. How do you feel about what we have heard over the last couple of years about what kind of things were said after you left, what the narrative was about your reason for leaving. Okay. One of the things that I feel was said was that I and my leader left because our wives made us or something along those lines, I think was said or implied at one of the meetings with specifically our like smaller team. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what was said. I've heard a rough summary from someone who has since left and was there and, and shared with me a little bit of the gist of what was said. But to that end, I really do regret not having said more so that it was clear that this was my decision. It wasn't something that, that you told me I had to do. I didn't go and make this decision on my own. We right. talked about it. And we struggled yeah. with it together. But at the same time, this was not a us siding with someone in a messy divorce and choosing sides and having to leave because of that, because my wife wanted me to leave. And in order to stay happily married, I had to leave. That wasn't it at all. Who do we believe? Who's being trustworthy in this situation? Some things I didn't know. I knew enough to know I didn't feel good about what was going on. But had I known everything, 
And I was choosing a side, I would have been choosing the side of the person that was most vulnerable and needed someone on their side, not because of friendship, but because they were the one that didn't have the power and at the same time was in the right. Yeah. But that wasn't, I hate to say it, but that wasn't actually what did it because we didn't know all the details. We just knew enough to say, okay, I don't trust that there's integrity here. And and I feel like something is definitely wrong here. Yeah. I hate that that framing as if they weren't taking a side in a divorce, as if the Ramsey leadership themselves weren't doing that. Well, I think this implication certainly was that that we had chosen the wrong side. Right. And I think it tells you a lot about what their whole approach to the situation was. Instead of saying, we want to follow the truth, it was like, well, we have to take a side where why not just say we're going to do whatever we can to investigate and get to the truth instead of a side. And I think it's something really hard for people to do to investigate themselves, to investigate something that could cost them a lot of money Mm -hmm. and energy that they don't want to spend. Even now, like hearing little things, it still hits me. Like I think, oh, they said that. They said that about me. They said that about you. I want to not care, but I still do care. Mm -hmm. Add to that the fact that this was not just about a random person at the company, but this was about a person who was representing all of us that worked there and was representing by proxy Jesus and our, our Christian faith and like being out there and actually as the spokesperson person for a very openly Christian company, like it's a really, really big deal. That person has integrity. And if there's a credible, if there's credibly raised concerns, like it's really important that you that you do follow through on that and not yeah. just try to make it go away. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Now for a quick break. Not long ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, faithful counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Now back to the show. And most of my close friends probably had a couple of close friends that were still in the organization. One was already ready to be out the door. They were working on wrapping up some things. And so I felt like I could talk to them and that felt good. Another one and had already walked through the situation with us a little bit. Another friend I didn't share all the details with, but understood us enough to know that we wouldn't have left for no reason. And we're in a position where they we're like, yeah, we are going to find another job too. We already have some concerns. In that sense, it felt good that we weren't making those people leave. Mm-hmm. God had already been moving them along in a way where they were ready to start looking for something else. It took a while before I had someone that I could talk to about it. My friend that I did finally talk to on that one drive, like he was still there. Yeah. And so I still 
didn't want to say much other than a little bit about what was causing us to leave. But again, I didn't want to put him in a bad situation. You wanted to be his friend regardless of Mm -hmm. the decision that he made. There's this definite sense that when people leave, they're now on the outside. There's When people leave, there's a sense that they're now suddenly them in the us versus them equation. So when people leave, now all of a sudden they're them. And if they're not us and they're not with us, then they must be against us. Add to that the fact that there seemed to be this surprising number of people that would get rather bitter about the company and would say things that seemed pretty antagonistic about the company. Turns out that there's a surprising number of people who have left with concerns. But at the same time, when you're still on the inside, you're like, oh, those are all the bitter people. They just left and they're just bitter about not being here anymore. And so I really didn't want to lose my friends because they thought that I was just one of those antagonistic, bitter people. So I was being very, very careful, even in my interactions with my good friend, so that he would would not see me in that light and that I would yeah. lose that friendship because of that. That's why well, I don't want to hang out with the person who's just bitter about the company. In the end, he wanted to work remote and that's something you can't do at RS. And so he ended up looking for a job where he could do that and he left and suddenly I had my friend who was on the outside. It took a long time before I had a friend on the outside. One of the things that when your friend was interviewing for jobs and you knew he was interviewing because he wanted to work remote after an interview that he ended up feeling like discouraged about. I remember you saying, I am going over to his house. Yeah, I want to talk to him. I remember feeling this is what I was sad about you leaving Ramsey about because these good friends and also feeling so happy that you got to go sit next to him in his house and both try to solve this problem together. And not only could encourage him, but remind you guys of what an awesome experience you had being able to work together. I think that was also like the other half of that, because I remember being over there and I think his family was out for something. So it's just the two of us sitting there walking through this thing. And the second half of that visit ended up being a little bit more about why I'd left. Like he asked Mm -hmm. a couple questions and I was able to answer them with a little more candor. And yeah, It was good. Like it was really good to be able to actually speak a little bit more freely. That was really where I was most concerned about coming off as the bitter person. The first one I'd said so little intentionally, and it was really just about, I still want to be your friend. That first conversation in the car. This one was a little bit more of, this is what I saw that concerned me. I don't think everything's okay, but it's not just bitterness. Please don't see me as a bitter person. That was the heart of that second conversation. And it was just so good to be able to have that conversation and have the hope that he was going to be on the outside at some point. And I think it worked out the way it had to work out. You can't force somebody to see something they they aren't ready to see. And then the happy ending into that story was that the job fell through. That's not happy. Well, yeah, that's not happy, but it is happy because his, the job fell through for him, which was, which was really awful for him, but he had already decided, he'd already said he was leaving at RS. You can't openly say you're looking for someplace because that might be your last day. Because your heart's left the building. So you have to very, very carefully do that. He had already, you know, announced his departure and then the thing fell through. But in the intervening time, I had found another position Mm -hmm. and that place decided that they were going to allow remote work. Do you know someone who wants to do remote work? Yes, absolutely. I know someone wants to do remote work. And so without really intending it, we got to work together again and have been getting to work together again for a year and a half, two years now. It's been amazing. That was one of the best days ever. Make this clear for people. This wasn't the place, this wasn't someplace you went to work directly from Ramsey. You'd already worked somewhere else for six months and you were wrapping up a project there and this opportunity 
to apply for this job came up and working for your former leader that had left right. the same time you did. He had been working at this new place for a few months and you were ready to consider it. And so you interviewed and were offered a job and your friend had already given his notice. Not to come work here. Not, yeah. He had accepted a job somewhere else and decided he did not feel good about it later. And in the interim, he interviewed and was offered this job. And so you got to work with your best friend again. And with your best leader, it was... I should say, when I, when he said, and we're going to start considering remote people, I'm like, and he's like, do you have any ideas? And I'm like, he said, and, and I've already called my friend. Like, <laughs> I've already called him. He already knows. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's who I was going to say. That was a really awesome miracle that came about from all of that. Yeah, that was about six months after you left Ramsey that that happened. By about the 11 months, not quite 12 months out, we were ready to share the story on my website of what happened. It had been a almost a year exactly. And I was like, I feel like it's a good time just to put out there what we could about what we had experienced without sharing too much of someone else's story, without sharing too much of Melissa's story, because it was hers to it's, tell. Right. Um, it still wasn't and, our story. But at this point, you had walked through yeah. more of it with her mm -hmm. and had been there by her side. Yeah. Yeah. I had sat in a courtroom with her. She was trying to get some information, you know, legally requesting, subpoenaing information from Ramsey to help with her divorce settlement. And so I sat in the courtroom and listened to the Ramsey lawyers argue that they didn't have really any easy way to calculate for her what Chris's income was. And I was shocked. How can they be stonewalling so bad? And they said things like, we really don't know who spends what on the company debit cards because they're shared among different people. This comes directly from the October 3rd, 2019 transcript of this court hearing. Mr. Presnell is the lawyer that was representing Ramsey Solutions in this. This is what the lawyer for Ramsey Solutions said on October 3rd, 2019. Mr. Hogan is one of a few employees who has a company debit card. So when he is traveling and charging expenses, he uses his debit card, which goes directly to a Lampo bank account. So he does not complete, nor do we have any expense reimbursement forms. That is a quote from the lawyer representing Ramsey Solutions. Mr. Presnell went on to say, there are multiple employees that have a debit card that goes to the same account. And so when we get a bank statement, we do not have a way to segregate Mr. Hogan's expenses from any other employees' expenses. What kind of personal finance company doesn't keep track <laughs> about who spends what on their debit cards? And I knew then that they either were terrible at actually doing their own, uh, applying their own principles internally, or they were lying. And they also said they didn't have a recording of that team meeting that we listened to in the last episode. In the same court hearing, the lawyer for Ramsey responded to Melissa's request for some specific audio recordings that she believed Ramsey had that talked about her. One of those was the Got Your Six meeting that happened in May of 2019. And here is what Mr. Presnell said. We audio record devotional meetings, which occur on Wednesdays, as opposed to staff meetings where we don't audio record or video record. Sitting there in that courtroom and hearing the lawyer claim that on behalf of Ramsey, I was shocked because I happened to know that Nathan would listen to team meetings later if he hadn't been there on a Monday because they recorded them regularly and put them on a drive where anybody could access them and listen to them. And just in case he's wordsmithing here, here is another statement from Mr. Presnell. I asked Lampo about everything in number 16, notes from meetings, audio tapes, videotapes, and they have none of that. 
regardless of whether it pertains to his work issues allegedly or otherwise, other than that potential audio recording of the devotional, April 10. I know you're wondering what item 16 is, so item 16 requests copies of any audio or video recordings, transcripts, and or notes at staff meetings slash devotionals on May 6, 2019 and April 10, 2019. There are other dates that are mentioned, but I just wanted to point out that the May 6 date that was requested would have been for a Monday morning team meeting. Mr. Presnell stated that Lampo did not have these recordings and that they did not record Monday morning meetings. If not lying, very carefully choosing their words. It was the lawyer they had, they had hired that was saying these things. And the lawyer would have been giving the answers that client had given that lawyer. They were willing to mislead their lawyer. And I really believe that they did have a recording of that team meeting. And they said they didn't have it. I believe they did. A company that is willing to perjure themselves. That's serious. That's serious business. I think that for me was incredibly important. You're going and actually walking through the process with Melissa, because it was again, bit by bit, more evidence that I wasn't crazy and that I hadn't made a terrible mistake and that I hadn't, because I think even through that year, I was still struggling with, but these are good people. I must have misunderstood. And I was still doubting myself, even in the face of having been told very clearly, this is what the board member told my leader or the bits that I hadn't known when we left that we were starting to 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 uncover and hear you being able to go and be in that courtroom and actually hear things directly from, from their lawyer. Yeah. And hear that. And I'm like, I can't believe they said that was still just more that over time, let me look back at that and say, and when I would have these like doubts, I'm like, well, no, because I know they did this and I know they did this other thing. And I know that someone I trust very, very much heard directly from a board member this thing that just completely blew me away. Some of these things were one step removed, but like the step was you or the step removed was someone that I trusted incredibly well. And it wasn't just like rumors that were these things that bit by bit, I could confront those self-doubts and say, no, no, it's not me. This was them. But it's crazy after so long of being there and believing that we're the best place to work and we are unique and nobody has integrity like we have integrity and we do the tough things. And we like all these things that I heard for so long, it took a long time to tackle those things and say, well, yeah, except for when it wasn't true and address that there were things there that were not true. So I do all that with Melissa, decided to share our story. It was probably maybe beginning of April of 2020, the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. That spring had been particularly rough for Ramsey Solutions. Dave had made comments on the radio sometime, I believe it was in February, mocking people for being what he characterized as too cautious about forecasted tornadoes. That night, a tornado touched down in Nashville. And then COVID started to really pick up steam right as Ramsey was gearing up to host a big cruise. Dave stated on the radio that he was still going regardless and told people who were asking about refunds for upcoming events that there would be no refunds. They ended up canceling the cruise and postponing one of their highest priced events of the year. Lots of people were working from home. In fact, the Ramsey employees were at home the month that I wrote that article or wrote that blog post, but I had spent, I don't know how many days, weeks working on it and had you read it. So like we were together on sharing it, Mm -hmm. what would be in there? What wouldn't be in there? It wasn't just Amy going rogue (laughs) (laughs) or was I, was I going rogue? 
You can tell me if I was rogue. I don't think you're going rogue. You're certainly braver than I was, but you were very careful in what you put in there. Every word I chose, every word I cut out, I did it knowing I needed to account for it. I needed to make sure I wasn't saying anything that wasn't true and not asserting things that I could not corroborate in some way, knowing the litigious nature of Dave. Yeah, we were very careful about what was in there and what wasn't and felt good about when we were sharing it and how we were sharing it. And it became very quickly the most read thing I had ever shared, even though I didn't know who all was reading it. And I was worried at the time that we shared it, that we might get some pushback from the Ramsey organization. And I shared it. And for about a month, nothing happened. We thought we were in the clear. Other than the fact that one of my friends that I used to work with did reach out to us. Yeah. And if that was the only thing came out of it, One person, isn't that interesting? We spent all this time thinking through what to say, not knowing what God would do with it. And none of your friends reached out except for one, one person said, Hey, I read the article. Can we talk? Mm -hmm. And he came over and we sat in the backyard because COVID. Yeah. And I told him my story. And then you came out and you chimed in and told our story. Yeah. I was at the door when he came. He invited me to join you guys. So it was the three of us sitting in the backyard by the uh, trampoline. Yeah. And he took notes, asked some questions. He started with saying, I'm really sorry I didn't reach out to you before. It was huge because this is a person who was coming, not because I had said anything, but because they saw that article and they were willing to examine the facts and try to find the truth themselves. Yeah. And this was just one person just one person. We didn't know what he was coming to say to us. We didn't know if he was coming to let you have it and just say, how dare you? I was 50-50, like maybe he's coming to say you had no place, put that out there. I was scared. I I was not excited. I was scared, honestly, because I didn't know what he was coming to say. But he came really just wanting to know what the truth was and left thinking, okay, I have some things to look up and to some questions that need to be answered. And I'm going to- As the most meticulous of all of my friends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It meant a lot. After I shared our story through and then talked with your friend that had worked with you that came and asked some questions. April wrapped up. We had been talking. I, after sharing the story, I'd had several journalists reach out that wanted to know if we would go on the record with what's happening because I hadn't been very specific in some things. They wanted to, they knew there must be something happening and we just weren't ready. I remember we're like, you know what? We're just going to pray for the month of May. I'm going to pray all May that God would give us direction for if and how and what he wants us to do next. If there's anything else, God would just do something. That's what we did. We prayed from the beginning of May and that May 2020 ended up being quite the month (laughs) that will go down in infamy (laughs) in our lives. But for anybody that's thinking, we've told our story and one person, only one person cared. This one person, we had one person and it was a domino that fell, that started something we had no idea was going to start. We had no idea that it was the first of a domino that was going to start an avalanche. I think if we had known, we would have been a little more anxious. I think it was good that we did not know. May started a ball, started that avalanche, but it wasn't, you didn't go on the record for months, right? No, it just started things that we could never have pictured were going to be happening. Yeah. Dominoes falling, an avalanche starting, so many mixed metaphors in that conversation. The point is that during that season of processing and praying, 
we kept looking for the next right thing to do. And none of it was wasted. We practiced separating truth from lies, balanced speaking or not speaking, and we spent a lot of time asking God all of our questions. Thanks for listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. You can support this work by joining our membership community on Patreon. There you can find bonus interviews, transcripts, access to live streams, and replays of live streams. To check this out, go to untangledfaithpodcast.com and click on members. As always, you can find all the show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Untangled Faith. And I'm on Twitter as Faith Untangled. On the next episode of Untangled Faith. On May 1st, 2020, I bought a journal to write my prayers in. Nathan and I had recently had that conversation with his friend who was still working at Ramsey. We knew their family was processing a lot. I wanted to pray for wisdom for them, and I wanted to spend the month praying for wisdom for our own family. On May 13th, I received a message from a new friend that her husband had just been fired from his job at Ramsey and that they wanted them to sign an NDA. On May 18th, our friend who had come to us with questions resigned. And on May 20th, Ramsey dropped a metaphorical bomb on our family and three other families that were connected to us. Ramsey leadership later characterized it as a shot across the bow. If only I hadn't prayed for God to do something. I'll see you next week when we share the next part of our Ramsey story. I didn't say any weird words. One sentence. (laughs) I can't wait. <laughs>